plugged in in Canada anymore, but we'll see. Oh, yeah, you man, you know you plugged in. Get out of here. Listen, welcome. Welcome, guys. Uh, you already know why I'm your host with the most, the gallum, sugar, fructose, glucose, whatever it is. Whatever it is you need, that's what I am. Your neighborhood nice. You know we're in the place to be. Uh, I got my bro, AB. AB, talk to me. AB, you know it's AB. I'm here, man. It's always balling about billions. We got a, a great episode on, 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 on the record for you guys today. Oh, yeah. So uh, I've been waiting for this for quite a oh, while, yeah. man. So. Uh, we, we've been waiting, but, uh, oh, shout out to our bro ATL, get better soon. Thank you, awesome, here yeah. with us, but shout out to our other co-host. He'll be here with us next week, mm-hmm. but we got somebody to step up to the plate for us. And guys, let me tell you, my bro's resume is taller than I am. It's tall, <laughs> like a six time Gemini award winner, like big time. Yeah. Shout out to our bro, George Strabalopoulos. Gentlemen, Welcome. how are you? Nice to see you both. How are you? Oh man, we're just, we're excited, man. We are very excited and we're humbled and we're just, man, we just, I don't even know what to say. I feel like uh, all the congratulatories, all the, uh, all the, all the excitement, all the hurrahs. I feel like that's all I can no, give I you know, at this point. Happy. You don't have to give me any of that. I'm just happy to be here with you. Thank you. No, it's, it's our pleasure, man. So, you know, we were talking a little bit off the mic, but, um, you know, just like I said, Strombo, people who don't know who you are, because a lot of our demographic mm-hmm. might not know, but. You are Canadian radio. You are Canadian music. You're a lot of stuff to Canadian culture. So we're basically, this is going to be a real resume list off, and it's going to be a real, real, real eye opener for a lot of people. I've been, I got to say, I, I, I don't really remember what I've done in my career, but occasionally I get reminded of it. And I think how lucky and blessed have I been to be able to have been able to do so many different things and work with so many interesting people over the years. So yeah, I've done a lot of crazy stuff. That is for sure. Oh man, I was about to say, did you forget that you're a six-time Gemini winner? Did you forget well, I mean, that? I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I didn't forget that part, but someone did tell me that it was actually 11. It was actually 11 or 12. Oh, wow. But you know what? It, they, 11 or 12? Well, the six is only for the hosting. So the other stuff is the producer. Yes. I'm just messing with you. It doesn't really yes. matter, you know. Uh, I'm just messing. Um, no, like, I mean, because I started, you know, I started working at a, a pirate radio station in Rexdale in the Albion Mall. So that's, that's mm. how my career started. And I never oh, wow. really imagined that any of this was possible. So it's not like I had mm. dreams. I wasn't a kid with dreams. I didn't think, oh, I'm going to go out and do host this show and then host Hockey Night in Canada, do that stuff and then do Apple. I didn't, I, that was never, people go, oh, these are dream jobs. I'm like, yeah, for somebody else, but there was no chance I was ever going to get to do it. So I didn't even think it was a possibility. So I kind of just roll with everything. So you kind of like rode the wave, no, exactly. like you didn't set any expectations for yourself and like everything just sort of happened as you well, went along? Yeah, you know, it, 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 it didn't, I had no, I had very little expectations, that is for sure. Um, my, but I think I come from a decent place where my mother, I don't think, like honestly, I don't think I can ever remember my mother or anybody in my family ever really asking me what I was going to do for a living. It wasn't, it's in my family, we got jobs. You know, it wasn't this idea of a career path wasn't really the thing I could never have afforded university, never didn't even apply to university, had no interest in university. It wasn't my thing. Um, And I was working at a movie theater at the Woodbine Center in Rexdale. And when (laughs) Rainbow Cinemas, Cinemas, and before that, it was called it was a Cineplex. And that's where I worked right as a teenager. And I wanted to get a motorcycle license, so I went next door to the, there was a Humber College adult learning office next door to my theater, and I walked in there to get a course calendar to pay for my motorcycle license, because they did it in the parking lot of Humber. Um, 
And I looked through the book and I saw radio broadcasting. I went, ah, fuck it. I'll do that. Like that was honestly it. That was honestly it. And, um, I'm a dreamer for sure. And I know that now, but I didn't really think in terms of that back then. I just kind of rolled with life. And I think that's just part of maybe my era and part of, you know, we didn't see, you know, in the pre-social media days, we didn't actually know what other people were doing. So you'd, you'd, you'd have family coming from other countries or other cities. In my neighborhood, we had a lot of friends who had, who had cousins in either New York or Philly. So you'd meet people. I'd be in Buffalo because I had family in Buffalo. So you would see a little bit of the outside world, but you didn't really know. So it would be like some shit that I would read in punk rock magazines. And I'm so old, man. I remember when hip hop started. I remember when rap started, right? That's how old I am. And like, it, there was a day where there wasn't any, and then there was a day that there was. And so we just kind of learned it from, from, you know, magazine clippings or people telling us shit or some old photograph that somebody had of their dad. And, and so it was just the idea of like, oh, the world is your oyster. What? Mm -hmm. No, it mm -hmm. isn't. No, it isn't. That's stupid shit that people say to make you think it's your oyster, but it's not right. And at least it wasn't for me. So that, so yeah, so I didn't really, but what I did realize AB is that I didn't just wait back and let shit happen. I, I worked at an ungodly pace, right. To try to knock as many walls down as I could so that if there was an opportunity, I was the undeniable choice. That was how I thought. Um, yeah. I didn't think there was going to be one. So I didn't just sit back and let it all happen to me. I went out there and I pushed for it all the time, but I didn't know what I was pushing for because I didn't know mm -hmm. what the thing was. And that's the thing too, right? It's like when you're coming from like just trying to break into the media scene, especially probably even much more difficult now, yeah. just coming from Canada, being from Toronto, being from Etobicoke, you know, you know what I mean? Coming from like a, a immigrant household, I can imagine like just how difficult it must've been to break those walls down and like how much more difficult it is. Like it's, it's, it's also like, kudos man you, you deserve like all the praise and everything that you've ever done but like just imagine like trying to make it out there now without no. social media you know it's, it's you know no it's, it's it's well it's it's twofold right there's the all you're trying to do when you're coming up is get people somebody to look at you and hear you and think you have it and believe in you right that's what you're looking for somebody who has no reason to give you a break to listen to you it's way easier today in one respect, right? Like now everybody talks about being a content creator or, or building a brand, right? Like it's accepted. If I was 16 and talked about building a brand, my brand, somebody in my neighborhood would have smacked the shit out of me. Like you don't walk around talking about being a brand, right? This idea, like I'm a content creator, you get your fucking teeth knocked out. Like that's just not how it went back then. So now it's more accepted to build yourself up, right? Back when I was, when I was growing up, you weren't really allowed to build yourself up. You had to kind of keep it down. Now in Canada, everybody can go on and tell everybody how great they are and which is great. Right. But so it's, so that's it. So in one respect, it's a lot easier to could, because with social media, you have a lot more ways to reach people. TikTok is really amazing for this because TikTok. Uh, as you know, the blue check mark doesn't matter, right? TikTok, anybody could have as many views as somebody with a blue check mark, and it's random. Someone with a blue check mark can do 20 million views, and the next day get 10,000, next day get 200. It's so random, right? Well, I'm sure it's not random, but they tell us it's random. Um, and, to an extent, to, right? Yeah, yeah. So 
I, I think now it's a lot easier for someone to find you than it ever was. But now there are, it's not valued the same way. So now people have to be famous to be famous, right? Where when I was coming up, it, you couldn't be famous just to be famous. You had to, for me, it was music and sports and politics. You had to have a thing that you knew, right? Mm -hmm. um, but reality television started to change that back in the day. It sort of set up this stage. Um, so it is much harder in one respect because there are fewer places to work and there are no um, places to learn, right? So it's much harder today in that respect. Uh, but at least you have a chance to meet, like po the podcast game. Like, honestly, we had to, I had a guy steal plans to build a transmitter. He stole them, built a transmitter, put it in a closet in a shopping mall to make a radio station. That's how it was to broadcast but compared to what we're doing right now on, on this on this program, right? So, like, it yeah. was so hard to broadcast that it was actually illegal to broadcast. What we that was illegal, right? What this guy did, and um, and so it's now you, anybody can be a broadcaster. The question is, can you cut through? And that, of course, as you know, has a million. There are a million components to that as to whether or not it worked. Mm -hmm. So no, for you to you know talk about that pirated one. Is that the pirated one that you were working at? Is that uh, yeah, yeah, you were in, talking in about? Albion Mall? That's it. Yeah. My man, my man uh, okay. had, uh, decided he needed to make some money for his kids. So what he did was he convinced the mall to let him plug the plug our radio station into the shopping mall's intercom, the PA system. Mm -hmm. It was during Christmas, and we would play Christmas music and other tracks. And then he would go to the different stores and try to sell them ads. So then, so he was trying to make any money he could because he had a couple of kids at the time. So he was trying to do it any way he could raise some money at Christmas. We were like 21 years old. We had no money. We had, yeah, you know, dude was a pioneer. He was a pioneer. No, totally. And he called me and he's like, hey, can you, uh, do you want to be a DJ on this station? And I said, you're going to pay me? And he says, nope. And I said, okay, I guess I'll do it anyway. <laughs> and so I did it for free for a long time. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that was, that was in the Albion mall. It was, so my mom used to drop me off. I was, when we didn't have a babysitter, uh, which was often, um, I used to just be locked inside the, the library, the Albion library across the street. Um, and that's mm -hmm. where, that's where I would just stay. And then I would go across and do this. Spent a lot of time there. Yeah, yeah. A lot of time. And I, I practically grew up in that library to be honest with you. And then, then the mall across the street is where, um, we did all that stuff. So was this, so obviously this is, you know, very, very early on. Was this before or after the one that you did in, in the BC? This before. So this was, um, so this was right around 1991 when I did that. BC mm -hmm. I went to in 1993. 93, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Then I came back to Toronto in 93 and I did, I worked at the fan, the sports station that launched and the Raptors were coming and there weren't that many basketball fans. And because I was young and I liked hip hop, they just thought, all right. And I volunteered. I said, let me go do the Raptors. Right. And they had a guy, they had a journalist be the Raptor guy. So the other job, which was like the job that no one else took, the one that I asked for was, why don't you just go interview the visiting dressing room every day? And I'm like, sure, I'll do that. But that's the Jordan era. So every day I was with the greatest basketball players of all time. And that's how I learned to interview. Like I was 24 years old, I had long hair and, and I listened to, you know, metal and punk and, and hip hop. And so whenever I got into the dressing room, the, and the players would tell me this, they would see a whole bunch of sports reporters and then they would see me and they're like, this guy doesn't look fucking anything alike. 
any of these, these other, people. Yeah, totally. These traditional. So I'm assuming straight. they like, so they like kind of gravitated towards you gravitated right away. Towards you, yeah. A few of them did. You know, I, I was there early in the KG era and the Stefan era. You know, my first interview ever, one on one interview, was uh, Scotty Pippen. Because every I looked, I looked at no Scotty Pippen and I said, "Hey, can I do it?" And he looked at me like this and he went, "All right." And so I just sat down and one on one for half an hour with Scotty Pippen. That was pretty much my first one on one interview of my life. Um, uh, as, a, as an interviewer, and yeah, it was basketball. I love basketball so much, so it was just and, and that. Oh, I know we're gonna talk that's about how it that. Got going, you know. So you do that for you know a, a few years, I'm assuming, and then you know you get to the point where you start working at much. Yeah, so I, to talk to so I worked that. at the uh, at the fan radio station for four years, and in that time, you know, this idea about trying to be undeniable. What I would do is on my days off, uh, which was you know I worked technically three or four days a week, but I'd be in every other day. I would go into a production studio and I faked a radio show. This is pre-internet, right? So I would draw the blinds in the studio. I'd press record on this tape, this cassette, and then I would look at the clock. I, by the way, there was another radio station in the in the building. So whenever the DJ would go for a smoke, he'd go he'd put on, whenever I'd hear him put on a log record, I know he would be going outside for a cigarette. So I would run into a studio. I would steal a copy of the playlist, photocopy it return it to him, then take a bunch of CDs and then go hide in the studio. And I would wait till the top of the hour and I would fake a radio show. I was trying to, you know, get my life in order. I was making some bad choices. I was like, I need to kind of be away from the neighborhood. So I stayed in my, in the studio and I faked a radio show every day and I would record it and I would send it to radio stations all across uh, Canada and the U.S. Uh, and nobody would call me back. No, I, I probably sent out 700, 800, 1,000 uh, shows. No one ever called me back. One guy called me back once to say, now you're not ready. And like, no, I, I just got no, no love, no support. So what I did was one day I called this rock station in Toronto, The Edge, which was broadcasting on the Eaton Center. And I said to the guy, I left him a message. I said, hey, um, I'm not looking for a job, even though I wanted one. I said, I'm not looking for a job, but I just want you to know that I'm in this market and I am doing my own show right now. I was doing a sports talk show um, and I was making no money and I knew it was really, I wasn't really going to fit in there long-term. Uh, and I said to him, listen, man, just know that I'm here and I'll send you a tape if you want, but just know that I'm here. Six months later, I get a call. So come down and meet me. And the guy said, listen, I don't have a job for you, but why don't you come work here? And I said, what, what? He said, just trust me, come here. I don't have a job, but come here. I'll tell everybody that you're just going to be giving away tickets to listeners, even though I had my own show, right? And I think he was testing to see if I had ego and, and I didn't. So I said, okay, I'll trust you. So I started working at the edge and he put me on the radio pretty much right away, doing overnight shows and morning shows. And he really supported me and then gave me, I guess he liked what I was doing. And he gave me this afternoon drive interview show where I started interviewing all these bands. Um, and that's what led to much music. So I did that for three years. I did the, the pirate station for one season. Then I did BC for one season, then four years at the fan, then two and a half years at the edge. And that's when much music uh, offered me a job. Uh, they had come to me and somebody at Much mm. Music said, hey, do you want to come work here? And I was like, ah, you play a lot of pop videos that I don't like and I don't think it's my fit. It's my fit. It's just really what I said. I'm like, it's not my fit. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, we want you to come here and do interviews with like heavy hitters. That's what they said. So I was like, shit, I'll do that. And that's kind of how it happened, mm -hmm. honestly. It just sort of so put my head down and just went for it, you know?
So is that how you got into the whole producing part too? Because you went from just being a yeah. host to now also being a producer, yeah, totally. right? Yeah. So when you get too much music, you produce your own show, your segments, your own stuff. And I learned how to do, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to cut an interview. I didn't even really know how to do an interview. Like I just was just doing what I thought. So I had some natural ability to talk to strangers, but I didn't really know the craft of it. And then I got too much music and I met up with some people who, uh, a woman in particular called Tanya, who really helped me craft the art of this and uh and was and taught me how to produce segments and that's how i learned to be a tv producer was uh was basically through tanya uh at uh at um much music that was such a great run like it's hard to explain to people just how fucking wild that 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 last era of much music was like we it was the best it was every single day a fucking g was coming in the studio every single day people were piling outside to meet somebody every day it was hip-hop r&b punk metal like just straight up rock dance artists every day some shit was happening in there every day and and we were young and we were on the street it was it was just i mean it was perfect like that that i worked there for five years that was everything i needed it to be no my much is a it's a canadian staple obviously and yeah. it's really something that it's very ingrained in who we are as canadians speaking of obviously you know being canadian there, I, I think in 04, I think it was the first time I saw you, you were doing The Greatest Canadian, I believe. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, 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 that's right. Yes. That's the first, that's yeah, the first, yeah, that's, that's, that, yeah. well, that, that obviously, and the hour, but we're going to get to that in a bit, but yeah, so, that was like the first, those are all within like a year of each other, so I remember seeing you around that that's time. That's right, yeah, so what happened was I got offered a job at CBC and I turned them down. Um, they wanted me to do, well, no, what they did, because CBC is a strange place, right? So I was hosting their new music, which is a show that I love, the new music. I was hosting that. I was producing on that. I really loved that show. So somebody at CBC reached out to me and said, you want to come down for a meeting? So I said, sure. And they said, we're working on a new arts show. Would you like to apply for it? And I said to them, would I like to what? They said, would you like to apply for it? I said, wait, you called me out of my station to ask me to throw my hat in the ring? And she said, yeah, that's how we do it here. I said, no, 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 thanks. I'll pass. And she said, what? I said, no, no, I have no interest in that. Like, if you want to offer me a job, offer me a job. I mean, like, I, it's not it's not about knowing your worth. It's not that stuff for me. It was more like, I got a job I like. And I said that to her. I'm like, I got a job I like. You're asking me to apply for a job. Yeah, no, fuck that. I'm not doing that. So I said, no. Um, and then they, she said, well, no, but if you apply, you'll have a good chance. And I said, nah, no good. Then they offered me a different. It's either you give me the job or yeah, you don't. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Or make an offer. So, um, I learned that that at that point. Then I got offered another show at CBC, and I turned it down because I didn't want to do what they offered. Uh, and then a guy that I worked with briefly at Much Music reached out to me and said, "Hey, would you do the Greatest Canadian?" Right? And I said, "Yeah, uh -huh. you know, tell me more about it." So a CBC person reached out to me and said, "We're wondering if um, you'd be interested in the Greatest Canadian." So I wrote them back an email saying, "I'll only do it." if it's this person and the person wrote back and said well we can't tell you who's in the top 10 yet right and i said if this person's not in the top 10 i don't want to be a part of your show anyway and so there because that person we know is very was, exactly it was tommy douglas and so they said yeah you can do it mm -hmm. so so then i my my friend guy who's no longer with us rest in peace he so he and I and this other guy called a whole team of people uh, started making this greatest Canadian thing halfway through that I guess the people at CBC had seen some of the tapes and um, and a friend of mine a woman I was dating at the time uh, was like one of my best friends in the world today she worked at CBC in another department showed them a copy of an interview I had done with Peter Mansbridge when Mansbridge interviewed me 
and mm. I guess they saw that and they saw the greatest Canadian thing and they were, and the greatest Canadian thing hadn't even been finished. And they offered me a, a talk show. And I said, no, I think I said no three times to them. Cause you know, I, I, I don't know what you guys are like, but I don't want to work with people that I don't believe. Right. And I know who I am and I know what I'm good at. And I know what I'm not good at. And I know what I'm just not willing to do. And I never really believed that CBC would let me be me. I never believed it. And at much music, I felt like I was me. So I turned them down a bunch, but then, you know, then I was convinced by my manager and a couple other people there to just give it a shot. So I went for it. Um, and, uh, and then that's, that's how the CBC thing started, but it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for, uh, 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 Jasmine, who's the one who gave them the information, uh, to, to look at me. And then we won, and by the way, then, then we won Greatest Canadian. Then Tommy Dell goes, won. So, and so, and, but we had kept it a secret that I was going to do a talk show with them. So we're like, oh shit. So Tommy Douglas won. And then right after that, we announced the talk show. So it kind of was a perfect timing. So people inside yeah, CBC I remember, didn't know. I remember yeah. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was really cool. I thought, yeah, that's, that's actually an amazing journey. That's like, it's like, it's crazy to hear like how things unfolded. Like as the years went by, yeah. it's like, it's almost like just taking into consideration what you said in the beginning. It's like, you know, you never really set out with like a map of like, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. But like, just hearing you talk about how you went from recording so far, like in the Albion and then yeah. recording Scotty Pippen yeah. as your first one-on-one -on -one interview and then going from there and then being like, talking with Tommy Douglas yeah. on the greatest Canadian. You know, you, know yeah. what, you know what it is, is that I'm for better or for worse, sometimes both. I am, I'm open. Like I'm an open, I'm open to ideas. I'm, I'm not governed in any way by fear. Right. And I wasn't, I mean, I was a scared kid, you know, you obviously like everybody is and you know, you're, 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 you grow up below the poverty line. You're just like, you got no future. That was how it was. And you know, my family had split up and we're just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do for like, this is, this is kind of life's going to be hard, I guess. Right. Or compl complicated or whatever. But what I never had was an internal fear. So I don't have, which is sounds, I don't have any self-doubt. I have no anxiety about my life because I don't really value my accomplishments. If I can real talk you for a second, I don't value what I do. Like I, uh, what I value is the effort I put in. So if I put in hard work and I'm open to ideas and I learn and I work at it, I value my effort. So I never questioned my effort. I knew that I could outwork anybody. I knew that. I mean, I come from a line of basically single mom, immigrant women in my family who worked harder than anybody will ever work ever. Right. So no matter how hard I would work, people would come, Oh man, you work so much in your business. I'm like, man, you should see my grandmother. Like my grandmother was fucking mad when they made her retire. Right. She wanted to keep working. And, and so I just come from a long line of these tough women who worked so hard that no matter what I did in the business, I could never match their accomplishments. Right. So I didn't, I never valued the thing. Right. I loved radio. I loved interviewing people, but it didn't feel like a job to me. Right. Um, so I think but because, yeah, so I think cause I'm open to it, when opportunities hit, I didn't chase the first opportunity. I just, I really did like, does this, does this work with my values? Does this, is this the play way I want to spend my day? Do I like these people? 
So I think all these lessons that I learned as a kid in the different neighborhoods kind of stuck with me in my career. But yeah, you're right. And look, there's a whole lot of luck and privilege that come in play for sure. And I realized this as I got successful, whatever that means, is that you need a whole lot of people who have no reason to care about you to give you a break. You can do everything the right way. I was not the most talented guy. I'm not now. I wasn't the most talented guy in my college and radio. Like there were guys who were way better on the radio than me, women who were way better. But at the right time in that late 80s, early 90s, when the audience was interested in lots of things, like now it's pretty homogenous. Now people listen to one kind of music generally or another kind, right? But back then things were really changing. We were into lots of shit. We loved all kinds of music. We loved all kinds of books. We loved all kinds of movies. We were really interested in the world around us, right? So at that time, I just happened to have a wide range of interests. So, and when I got that radio job at the edge, the, where I started interviewing, what the boss told somebody was, he can talk about music, sports, politics, war, cities, neighborhoods, motorcycles, because he cares about all these things. So when everybody was so narrow-minded about the thing they loved, I got the jobs because I was I loved all the things, right? And that's actually how it happened. I was just open to lots of ideas. This is what I was told anyway, you know? And of course, lots of luck and lots of privilege that came into play for sure. So you finish obviously doing the greatest Canadian and then not very shortly after you start doing the hour. Yeah, which is crazy which to me that we launched in January of 05, which is 17 years ago. Nuts, right? And, and I remember, I remember, I remember being like, you know, I think a middle school student at the time. I remember I'd seen nothing but advertisements before and I was like, yo, who the hell is this yeah, guy? Yeah. Cause like, mm -hmm. I had seen you a few times on much. Yeah, I remembered you from the great Canadian. Yeah. For me, That's it was like funny. seeing you all around at much, and then I was I was I was pretty young, so I never really got a grasp of it. But then just going through some of the stuff and like seeing, I'm like, like you kind of remember like, oh, I added to you like yeah, yeah. On, on some of these stuff, these other things, and it's like it's it's kind of crazy. So you know the when when CBC and I finally came to agreement that I was going to do the show, so they had announced they were going to do a show, and they and they had a whole bunch of people. Um, apply for a job to work on the show. When they found out that I was the host, half the people at CBC withdrew their application. The ones who applied and a whole other group who didn't apply in the first place applied because everybody knew that this is going to be different. We and no one thought it was going to work, by the way, I, I wasn't sure it was going to work, but I didn't care. I was like, let's go for it, right? Um, but there are a lot of people who thought this much music guy with, uh, you know, a, a, a dog collar chain that I bought it off a rack at a, at a hardware store in, in Malton. I clipped a chain from like a hardware store. That was my necklace wearing a studded belt, the same belt that I'm wearing like right now, you know, this thing, you know, right here, that fucking belt, you know, <laughs> you know wearing my jeans and t-shirt was getting earrings and I had a nose ring was going to go on the air and, and interview politicians. People just thought this is gonna suck, but we did. We, but it worked. We did ten years of it, right? Which is an amazing mm -hmm. accomplishment. We're so I'm so grateful that we were able to do that. Um, but yeah, the very beginning, nobody thought it was gonna work, man. Nobody thought it was gonna work. It, but I, but I, but I'm a big believer in it. Doesn't matter if it works, go for it, go for it. And that that show opened all these other doors for me around the world. I mean, that's obviously you know. That's obviously a wonderful story because it proves that, you know, once you put in the work that you obviously will get somewhere regardless, as long as you put in the work. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think 
the thing that resonates with me the most is you saying, you know what, it's not necessarily the work that I do that I take pride in. It's the fact that I put in the effort yeah. and that I, 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 I always put the foot forward and I put in the, you know, the due diligence, yeah. right? Effort that's something everything. you can hang your hat on. That's something you can respect. Yeah. Because, because what ends up happening is, and this is a, like a, a um, just a subconscious game you got to play with yourself, right? Is if you make it about something other than the effort, it means that you base your happiness and your path on somebody else's acceptance of you. And I learned really young that, like, I, 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 I don't laugh. Maybe I laugh a little bit in, in a cynical way, but you know, when, in the last couple of years when the world's on fire and everybody's panicking and, oh my God, how could they and how could they? I, I, I just looked at people and go, what did you fucking think was gonna happen? Like, I never grew up thinking the police were on my side. I never grew up thinking the government was on my side. I never grew up thinking religion was on my side. I never grew up thinking the school was on my side. Now, I know that in all those walks of life, there are people who care. I know that. But I grew up, I never grew up once believing, never once believing that anything in the system was on my side. So when shit starts to collapse, everybody's like, how could this happen? What do you mean, how could this happen? Have you not paid attention to all of history? And look, and I'm a white presenting guy, so I don't even have any clue what you guys have to deal with, right? Like, you know, not being white, I, it's a whole other game, you know? I was able to move through Dixon differently than my friends who, were, who weren't white. Black and brown guys had a different experience than I did. I know that. Um, and, the, and the girl that I was dating there uh, was, was Latinx. So she had a different path than I had. So, so I knew that the fucking game was rigged. You know, when I was 13. So now in 2020, when cops are killing people and this is happening and then the government and the pandemic and the lockdowns and people getting mad and Trump and all that shit, I'm looking around going, yeah, you, it's like Stephen King said, you, you sow dragon's teeth and then you're surprised you get dragons. Now we've been sowing dragon's teeth a long time and now we got fucking dragons, right? And, mm -hmm. and so I never, so I never really and it's i know it sounds like an arrogance but it's not arrogant at all it's not ego at all when i say i just don't care what people think about me in terms of it doesn't validate my experience you know like yeah. I, at work because i can't i can't if someone doesn't like the app doesn't like my show and lots of people don't like me i mean fuck that when i took hockey in canada they went nuts lots of people don't like it and but i'm like no but i can do this and i know my efforts there so then it's just a question of taste and it doesn't matter if it's personal or not. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm on a whole other trip, right? And that's how I kind of approach my whole life, you know? Mm -hmm. and that's no, so, so you know, speaking of, obviously, that we're going to... Go ahead, Ibi, go on. Oh, no, no, and, and that's like, it's almost, it almost embodies, like, what it means to just be, like, coming from an immigrant household and being, like, a second-class citizen and having just to work so hard just to get sometimes places where you feel like you know you get to wherever it is the milestone is and it's like you don't even really get to catch your breath because then you start to look around and then some people's journeys aren't as rigorous as yours they didn't have to yeah. you know jump the same hurdles you did and it's like it, it almost doesn't allow you to like catch your breath you know you can't you, you can't go yeah you're, you're you know what you said is exactly right ab you can't catch your breath and that's the difference now you know on the spectrum of the things that we have to deal with right uh, to me the number one the only war to fight is class war right so at the very end everybody around the world who's poor gets fucked and so i had that to deal with i grew up below the poverty line i grew up poor um but i wasn't but i was white 
you know, or ethnic. And so I, I had to deal with this. I didn't have to deal with this. Right. And then, so as you, as you get through, and like you said, you never take a breath, you can't catch your breath. You got to go, 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 go. You realize that, holy shit, as hard as it is for me, there are people who have to deal with more than I have to deal with way more than obviously, but again, you remember we're talking when you're 16, 17, 18, you don't, we didn't know all the language and the tools we have now. We didn't have that in 1987. We didn't know about this stuff. I never even heard of the concept of privilege in 1986, right? And I couldn't even imagine that I would have had any grown up poor. But then you realize, oh, fuck, you know what? I do have this privilege, right? Oh, I have this. So, so what ended up happening for me, and I think this is a big shift in my brain, was because it was a bit of a struggle for me to fight through and I couldn't catch my breath, I didn't think that, well, because it was that hard for me, it should be that hard for everybody. I thought, oh no, I got big fists and no fear. So I should use it not to fight my way through, but to create a bit of a path so someone can come behind me. And then that person can fight for the people who come behind them. Right. And that we could build a movement of people from Rexdale. It was like the West Side kids, right? Just can we get the Jane and Finch, Jane and Wilson, Rexdale kids? On my on my show, I would interview kids. I grew up behind the in North York behind the so I went from Jane and Wilson, Jane and Finch to Rex. I lived on Chalk Farm before I went to Rexdale. And I, I interview people on my old talk show who are from that neighborhood and then Malton and Rex and I'm like, fuck, see, and we we see each other differently coming from our neighborhood. Like we, just like my friends who are from Scarborough and East York, they see themselves differently, right? We we just see it a little bit differently. And I, and I learned really early that there is no chance the system is going to be there for us. But if you do enough and you get lucky enough, you can take advantage of the system, which is what I did, right? When I got some opportunities at much music, I'm like, I'm now I'm going to make this count. Right. Um, but never once did I in my head think, well, fuck everybody. I'm trying to keep people out. Never. It was always about big enough where we're from. Like people know it. You know, people know that I'm from Rexdale and Malton. People know it because I say it all the time, right? Because I want people who grew up in Rexdale and Malton to know that, yeah, you know what? It's a different time. I'm a different guy. It's a different thing, but but I'm from there. Like I'm from there. I grew up there, and uh, it's 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 it's. But you, you're right. You can't catch your breath. You can't catch your breath. But I never thought the system was on my side ever. Right. So I was just like, well, I'm, no one ever wanted me to catch a breath. So, you know, that, um, that obviously being said, uh, you do, you know, the hour, obviously you go through like a small rebrand with the name change, which I thought was stupid anyway. I thought that an hour was catchy. So yeah. we're not, we're, we're not going to talk about, you know, that time you did that reality TV show. Cause that was shit. Which one? I'm telling you right now. That was Which shit. one? What was it called? The one? Yeah, it was shit. You saw was that called show? The one? Shit. It was shit. That show. I did shit. That show, it was that show was not shit. That, but but okay, <laughs> it was, <all> right. <laughs> uh, no, that was not your best work. That was yeah, shit. I thought it was pretty good in that show. No, listen, man. That's what I'm saying. Like some shows work, some shows don't work. Some shows yeah. work, some shows don't work. You know, that's the thing. You know, it's funny that we had about nine million people watching that show in the U.S., but they wanted fourteen million. No way. Had, but they wanted fourteen million, right? And the people who brought us on, uh, who created that show the network, that person left. So a new boss came in and we weren't that show, right? We weren't mm. their show. Uh, yeah. But look, man, that show, that show had lots of problems for sure, but they all do. That's the thing. All these shows are good and bad. It's just a question of, does it line up with the right time? That's what I realized about TV. You know, you know, you know, what, you know, what show was good, even though it never got any airtime. The one that you did on CNN after that. 
Yeah, so we signed a contract. So, yes, that, I enjoyed that show. I shot 10 episodes in four days um, just down the street from here. And uh, we, I had a contract with CBC still. And so I couldn't do a show in the U.S. that aired in Canada while my show was on the air. So we got a summer deal so I could do 10 episodes that aired during the summer. And then the last episode aired before I had to go back and launch my new show. Um, but it was the same scenario, right, where new bosses came in. But I, but honestly, I shot those four shows, and then I, I, I split. I went to Europe. That was it. So I only did uh, four days. But that one was, was dope, fun, though. Man. We had we had Wiz Khalifa, Kevin Smith on that show. We had all kinds That's of. That's the one on I seen with Wiz Khalifa. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. we're referring to the uh, the show we had you had on CNN, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah the, the one yeah. that was dope. That was, that, I'm, I'm not gonna. That show was dope as shit. I'll be that honest. Was dope. Yeah, dope. That's the one. That was so fun to do. That one was good. And it was funny is that because it's uh, it was in Hollywood. It was right near my my house. I would just get on my bicycle and I would just ride to the studio. I just ride to the studio, do the show. It was pretty funny. Man. Mm -hmm. So then, now now we get to sort of your uh, and like, I don't know if you necessarily hang your hat on it because of how shit went down, but. As a hockey fan, it's supposed to have been a big deal for you. The Hockey Night in Canada. Doing Hockey Night in Canada yeah. was huge. You know, when they offered me Hockey Night in Canada, I, I called them and I said, you guys are crazy. You don't want this. I actually said that. I'm like, you don't want this. Mm -hmm. um, they said they did. I didn't believe them, but I took the deal anyway because I thought, you know what? You had to. Yeah, man. You had I had to. to. The CBC show was coming to a close, and it was also like a way to finish the game. You know, growing up in Canada, there are only three shows that really resonated with me as as a host. The only three shows. Mm -hmm. The New Music, Hockey Night in Canada, and The National. They're the only shows that when I was growing up were the three shows that I looked at and said, The New Music, Hockey Night in Canada, and The National. And I'd already had mm -hmm. The New Music. So, and I just thought, Man, if I if I lock the Hockey Night Canada contract down, I'll be the only guy in the history of the country to have this career. Like, honestly, to do the two, you know? And I made a decision ages ago not to go down the journalism path on the national when I was at CBC. Not that I ever would have uh, got that show. But that's the only show I would still do, by the way. The only show that I would still do is the national. Um, because... That show just means so much to me, and I would love to. No, you have to to check off your list. You have to. Well, yeah, and also I just I would like to change the way news is delivered, right? I would like to change the way news is delivered. Absolutely, that's the only show back in Canada that I'm even remote. By the way, they would never, they would never. But that's the only show that I, in my mind, because they're the three iconic brands to me growing up. Um, mm -hmm. And so I got the two, and I'm like, yeah, fuck it, let's do hockey. I knew hockey wasn't going to last, but what I knew was that I was going to shake it up enough that we are going to make changes. And we did. Like, what people don't know, like, what we were able to do behind the scenes. Like, what I was told by the guys who ended up getting rid of me was that when I was the host, the ratings went up with people who were under 30 and with women. Like, that was the job. I was, I did the job. But the problem was the guy who hired me left right away. So he left me to the wolves. That This happens every step of my career, by the way. And, and when you're, as your career is growing businesses, what's going to happen? noticed. Yeah, you're going to get a job and the person who brings you in is going to leave. That That's what happens. And so, and but that's okay. With Hockey Night Canada, I knew I was going to make enough money that it didn't, that if, when it ended, I'd, I'd have a couple of years where I'd be okay, right? I knew that the money was going to be fine. And I, we made sure of that. But also I knew that... Well, look, you saw it, man. You saw it when, all the, when the world started to burn down. You saw how quickly most sports broadcasters around the world, and particularly in Canada, just couldn't fucking handle the real world news. 
racist shit being mm-hmm. said, misogynist shit being said, crazy shit being said. And I'm just like, that's what we were trying to change, by the way. And we and that shit was changing when we were when I was doing the show with my crew, right? But that's not what Rogers or Hockey Night Canada wanted. Rogers and Hockey Night Canada wanted that one kind of show. Right. And yeah. so which is totally cool. I'm not mad at them for it. I'm like I I was just really happy to have the opportunity to do it. But the, the truth is the things are never what they look like. And there's some behind the scenes shit that one day I can tell those stories, you know, that will blow your fucking mind. No, blow hey, your fucking and I, and mind. You know, you know, I can't wait to hear it. One day you're gonna tell us. I wanna hear It'll it. Blow your fucking mind, I'm telling you. But I but I um but I was really grateful for the opportunity to do it and to be a part of some really cool stuff. I was the guy that was there standing beside Connor McDavid when he found out he was going number one. I interviewed him when he went number one. So there's a, you know what people don't realize is that Hockey Night in Canada theme. When I was doing the talk show at CBC, it was my my team. We got that song for them because they lost the rights to Hockey Night in Canada. Our whole team created the whole search for it, brought in the producers, brought in the people. We Our show, we made that fucking theme song. The, the, like where's a couple of people that were, legendary dude, theme song. Pro- yeah totally and there were producers on my show who they did I, I did some of the work they did most of the work so our producers fucking are the re- so we our hands were all over hockey night canada anyway even though people didn't really know it um but i mm-hmm. but i'm not mad that it ended because it was it was a cool and interesting time in my life but also i needed a reset you know i needed a reset in that in the traditional media I was doing shows that I was no longer watching. I wasn't watching late night talk shows anymore. So I'm like, why the fuck am I doing a talk show? My friends don't watch talk shows. I don't watch talk shows. TV got so corporate and so boring to me. I'm like, meh, I don't really want to be a part of this. Hockey, I didn't like the way sports broadcasting was going. I thought it was fucking whack and I wanted to change it. And when I got in it, I realized, oh, they want to keep it this way. I'm not saying that the people were bad. I thought there were a lot of really great, talented people, but I'm usually talking about up top. Up top, I just thought they had, they had the wrong approach, right? And it was a very exclusive approach, not an inclusive approach. So when hockey ended, I'm like, cool. I'll, I'll tell you a true story. I was sitting there in Hockey Night in Canada one day, and we were talking. And I remember looking at the guys at Hockey Night, I said, here's the mistake you're making. I said, you're all sleeping on what's really happening in Toronto. Because that's the bulk of the audience, right? You're sleeping on what's happening. I said, you mark my words. The Raptors are, because I come from Raptor reporting, right? The Raptors are going to be bigger and better and more impactful in Toronto than any team in this city. And they were like, never, 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 never. Three years later, we get the chip, right? Three years later, we get the chip and the Raptors are the most valuable franchise in the country. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a genius. It just was, it took somebody who comes from neighborhoods. To, you seen the writing on the wall though. Cause I come from places where I was like, yo, you ever notice how few people are wearing leaf hats and how everybody's wearing Raptors caps. And Drake, of course, got Jays caps everywhere. But you, you, you're like the city made it cool. Changing. You made it cool, yeah. Totally, and the city was was changing, but it wasn't changing from my perspective or for your perspectives because it was the city we knew that was finally showing up, that was being seen, right? And and I remember at Hockey Night going, "You got to change your TV, man." I'm like, "This is insane." And because uh, the ba- the best studio show ever made in my mind, aside from anything Keith Oberman's done, I love Keith Oberman, is Inside the NBA. I'm like, you guys got to be, but oh, I'll tell you, yeah. I would do interviews at oh, wow. Hockey Night Canada. I would do interviews and they would not air the interview. 
because I got some shit. And then the team would call hockey night and say, that shouldn't be out there. And they would pull the interviews. I'm like, you brought me here to get truths. And then I would get truths. And then the fucking, so what happens when they, the producer goes, you know what? There wasn't that much in that interview anyway. And I said, there wasn't, I said, why'd they pull it down? He goes, well, you know what? We'll get it next time. And I texted my manager. I'm like, yo, get me out of this job. These people don't want to win. They don't want to win. Right. I'm here to win and they don't want to win. I don't think I've ever told you, you gotta, that. You got to take those. You gotta, the thing hey, is, when, hey. it, when it pertains to sports, sometimes you got to take those risks to make those specific shows. And it's crazy because it's like sort of synonymous in the NBA now. Like a lot of these guys that, that do those type, those kind of shows, like for instance, if you just mm -hmm. take in the Hunter show Stephen A does, it's like he's yeah. always sort of breaking those truths, right? And and it does kind of yeah, cross like, totally. uh, I'm pretty sure it does cross teams' minds like, I don't want to hear this. Someone get this off the air, but ESPN yep. knows that's going to sell. So it comes from obviously upstairs where they got to, if, if they want that to change, yep. they should have taken into consideration that you got to revolutionize whatever it is the show is doing. Totally. And revolution is difficult. And I, yeah, totally. And I understand it. Like, I understand why people don't want things to change. The human condition are on a subconscious level for survival. We don't like change. That's how humans are. But uh -huh. the secret to winning, in my opinion, is don't give the audience what they want. Give the audience something they don't even know they want yet. Nobody knew they wanted. Give them what they need. Yeah, people didn't know. People don't know. Like, how about these products that, that everybody uses now that people used to make fun of, right? Oh, we don't need that. Remember, like, back in the day, you'd make fun of anybody with a Bluetooth earpiece. Now every motherfucker's walking around with AirPods, right? And, and but you give somebody something they don't know because you know that you're doing something for them. So, yeah, we I tried with hockey, but I don't I don't mind how it ended because I really I got a lot of love for a lot of guys there, and I think they do a great job. And one of my best friends works there, and he's amazing on the air. And there's some really really good people there. But I'm telling you, like the the infrastructure of it when I was there, I'm, I can't speak to it now because I'm not there now. But the infrastructure of it when I was there it was never designed. It was never designed to make real mm -hmm. change. You know, it was never designed, you know. I mean, a guy, think about this. A hockey player is accused of groping a woman, which, by the way, is a fucking crime, right? Oh, and 100%. broadcasters go in there going, oh, they're going there going, oh, you know, these young guys getting into trouble. I'm like, homie, that's a crime. What are you doing? Right? I remember, like, I was just like, man, what, what the fuck is wrong with these people? And then I realized what's wrong with these people. They've been getting away with it for so long. Now, I'm not talking about, I, I'm not talking about like they're bad people, the sports guys in particular, but I'm saying that the culture allowed that kind of shittiness. I'm like, this is not cool. This is not cool. So I tried, but, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, I was, uh, what did the guy who got rid of me say? He said in an interview, I was the right idea, but at the wrong time. That's what he said. <laughs> Somebody said that to me. I'm like, all right, well, sure, whatever. And and I can't imagine because um obviously you being such a like deeply rooted fan of hockey like it's literally noted with you like hockey's your shit yeah. right uh you know you're I, I do I read that you're a Canadians fan by the way you know recipes Guy Lafleur yeah, no, I know that, that was uh I know that was tough mm -hmm. on you you know I and I realized I didn't realize because in my mind he was a lot older than he was but I'm like yo Stromberg probably watched this guy oh fuck I saw him play live he really knows I saw him play live in Toronto yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. So I'm like, so I'm like, yeah, like Strombo knows the guy, right? So recipes to that guy. Thank you. And, uh, you know, like, like I said, like, I was just thinking about, I was like, imagine somebody who has such a passion for the sport. They sit there, they want to do this job and they actually give a damn about the job and they want to do it well. And then it doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to, because I'm a firm believer that if you're passionate about something, 
people will see that. Like you can't teach passion. You're right. And I'll, I'll say something, you know, my friend, Bob Mackwitz, who has a, a sports podcast, who has been my best friend and we've done work together for our, lot, our whole careers said to me, don't grieve a show that never existed. Right. Don't grieve a thing that don't, don't grieve a relationship that wasn't that relationship in the first place. Right. And when I got into the hockey night in Canada world, I looked around and I thought, it's not equipped to do the thing that it needs to do from my perspective. I'm not saying my perspective was right. It was just from my perspective. It's not equipped to do the thing that they asked me to do. And that's never going to work. So I knew right away, like right away that it wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. Right. What I didn't realize was that the end of that show was going to set me up for a next stage of my career that would be bigger than before. Cause I kind of thought after hockey, I'm like, I don't know how you get bigger than that. You know, bigger is not the goal, but how do you best that? How do you top that? Yeah. yeah. I, I, and there were people in my team who were like, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to put a stain on you. And I, these are my people saying this to me. Right. And I'm like, I know it had nothing to do with me, but all right, cool. No problem. Um, and I just sat back and I thought, all right, you know, I'm, I never count myself out anyway. Like I said, I don't, I don't, I know that I have the effort. What I didn't realize was that, you know, by this point, right, I'm 40 something years old. I don't even know how old I was when hockey ended. I'd been in the media for a long time. What the end of hockey did was tell everybody that I was too edgy and too youthful for that. And so it put 10 more years on my career, right? Because when, when the newspaper wrote an article about it, they, they tried to reach me for a comment. I didn't call anybody back because fuck that. And they said, uh, Strombo could be reached because he's busy riding his motorcycle across the US, which was true. I was riding my motorcycle and just camping with my buddies, just riding. Um, and what I realized was that TV was changing in such a big way that I didn't need that to grow. I didn't need that at all. Um, and I got very lucky that, that Apple was there at the right time. I built the House of Strombo music thing there. I got a couple other things that are coming now that are directly related to that hockey experience that I would not have had if it didn't go the way it did. So it was a bit annoying in the beginning when you're like, man, this isn't going to work. That kind of sucked. But I very quickly just was like, that's okay. This is life. This life, you know? I don't believe that in our business, people talk about how everything's a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. It's an investment. A sacrifice is when you get do something for nothing in return. I put all this time and energy into my career, not as a sacrifice. It was an investment. And sometimes your investments return, sometimes they don't. And that, to me, I'm very practical about that. <laughs> you know, um, like I said, man, imagine you... You're thinking to yourself, you know what? You're right. How do I get bigger? You go post some forest gum shit. You go on a little trip around the world. You know, you mm -hmm. basically just you and you and your bike, you go and uh, honestly, that's some troubadour shit. You really just went yeah. out and did that. I respect that. Yeah, I, and I respect that. Ride a motorcycle across the country is my favorite thing to do. I'm going to do it in a month. I pick my bike up in Toronto. I pack a tent on the back of it. I just fucking by myself. I'm just gone. Right. I love doing that shit. Adventure. I love adventure. Uh, mm. I can tell just, just based on your journey. But I, I had a question. It's like, I know you did hockey night, but like, did you ever go back and like cover the Raptors in any way? Like, 
Were you, you, know, a- you know, when when I was doing the talk show, I, I kept bringing athletes on. You know, I had LeBron on that show back in the day. I had, you know, CB on the show, had um, uh, lots of hockey players, lots of athletes on the show, definitely. Um, so I, I always stayed involved in sports. And I used to do a, a show for Leafs TV back in the day um, where I was just a Saturday morning guy. I would be part of their panel talking about hockey. So this is all before Hockey Night. Um, but, of course, I kept up on the wraps, and, and I definitely – uh, but I don't. I, I didn't do it professionally. If my friends wanted me to come on NBA TV, I would do that. I'd pop in like that. Um, but you know what's crazy is that I was all. I was actually asked to be the play-by-play guy of the Toronto Blue Jays um, back in the day, and uh, I really wanted that job. And uh, there was a person in charge at CBC who said no. And this wasn't wasn't like the head of CBC, oh, but it was man. somebody else who said no. And the Blue Jays wanted me to do it. And I was ready to do it. And that same was this before the hour? Uh during the hour. So I was gonna do I was mm. gonna do the hour and the Jays on the weekends, right? I was that to me would have been the fucking greatest. Because I always wanted to be an NBA play by play guy, right? That was what I wanted to be. Was NBA play by play. And um so sports has always been in my in my head for sure, um, and I still I still watch it. I watch, um, I mean, I watch hockey. The Canadians suck, but I watch hockey and motorcycle racing and basketball. I, I motorcycle racing is probably my number one sport, uh, and I actually do it. But you know, baseball, basketball, motorcycle racing, hockey. These are my things that I spend my time following for sure. A little bit of soccer. Um, but it's hard. I can't shake sports, man. I can't shake it from from me. You know, it's like one of those things where, you know, I hear I hear a play by play call and I'm drawn right in. You know, I'm drawn right in. You know, I am. I secretly harbor. It's not even secret now that I'm telling you. I've never said this to anybody. I harbor a grudge about not getting that fucking Blue Jays gig, because that to me, I could be doing that. <laughs> Is that today. your missed opportunity? Is that like your missed missed opportunity? Well, but I didn't miss it. Someone took it away from me. Yeah, I, have, yeah. I, have, I have one missed opportunity. It's funny. I, t- I turned down an opportunity to host the Olympics. I turned that down. You know why? Because What the hell were you well, thinking? Why? Because you know what? This goes back to, I didn't believe in the team. The, the people who wanted to bring me on board, I wasn't vibing with them. And I'm like, I don't need this shit in my life. I probably should have done that, but I ended up working with those people and they complicated my life down the road. So I was right. But I kind of sit back and think maybe I, but the other reason I didn't do it was because it was in China at the time. And I had spent a lot of time on my show talking about the human rights violations in China. And I didn't think it was politically uh, and human rights savvy to do it. Had they offered me the, the, the games in a different set of games, I probably would have done it. But the, because at the time it was China, we were covering a lot of the human rights violations. I didn't think it was, it was ethical for me to do it. Okay, no, you know, I respect that. You said you have a you have a, a set of principles. You said I'm not going to fold on yeah, that. I respect but that. it was partly that, yeah, and it definitely. was partly I just didn't like the people. Some of the people, bad vibes. Yeah, bad vibes. Bad, bad vibes. vibes. Right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you got to really, really, you got to go into something knowing if the vibes aren't cool, it's probably not going to be cool. And you got to decide if it's if it's something you want to do. So the Olympics was probably a missed opportunity. Definitely it was. But I I'm okay with it because I kind of like the way my career's turned out. I've been very lucky, you know, so I'm all right with it. But, um, and who knows what that would have done for my path. Right? The path I'm on now is the path I should be on, right? Um, and so I... With the Apple Radio Show. The Apple Radio Show, and I got a couple other things happening that are... I got a new interview thing coming. Anything you can tell us about? I have a new interview thing coming. We're in the midst of that now, which is going to be pretty Ooh. dope. It's going to be pretty dope. And then I have a couple of non-media things that are more in the environmental human rights business game 
that uh, the one you were telling us about earlier. Uh, maybe yeah. There's some. Well, that's more humanitarian. Yeah, humanitarian. Yeah. That's what so I got one in that space that is that I've been very lucky to join some interesting people. So um, I'm at that you know I'm at that age where I, I come from a very punk rock mindset, which is you have a moment, make the most of your moment, and then don't try to do the same thing you've done because the next generation's job is to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm at that stage where. I believe I can bring a lot to the table musically and with interviews, but I don't need to be the guy that I was when I was 30. That's your fucking job. I want you guys to be those guys, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. I, and that's why I, I do this with you. And I, because I believe in you. And I think that it's our job as G's to pat, to create the next, help create the space for the next G's to create themselves. Right. And, yeah. and, yeah. and I think that's really important. And sometimes, you know, in our business, you know, ego can get into our heads and, and you get the ring and you try to hold the ring and it's not, the ring isn't yours, right? It's really about you maintain something and then create space for somebody else. And that's what I've tried to do in my career. So I still do my stuff in media because I like it. It's what I'm not, I'm, I, I like to do, but I, I feel like with my experiences, I should be doing other things too, which is using my, my relationships to maybe, can I make an impact in the world in a more positive way? You know, the thing is when you're in the public eye, you you get given a lot of stuff so you take a lot and i think you got to give as much or more than you take in this world right so you that's a big part of my mindset as i get older i'll never not be you know tell like the guy that wants to sit here and talk truths with you i you know i don't like being interviewed most of the time because there's not real talk this is real talk i like this right so that's why when your man reached out to me i was like i'll be happy to do this this is neighborhood kids i'm in right i'm neighborhood mm-hmm. man oh, for sure. i'm in um, I'm a neighborhood yeah, man yeah, too. Yeah, trust we're me. We, man, we right? were so excited, man. I'm telling you, man. We were, it's, it's actually, but it, but it oh. makes sense. Like just 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 how you go about things. Like it actually shows. Like you you you're just like us, you know. In, in, in your own different way, we all have the same journey, you know. And we all kind of go through the same struggles. Yeah. With whatever it is that you want. Yeah, and it, yeah, in a lot of ways, there is some definitely some overlap. And, and but I'll you know I'll say there's there's a, the thing that I used to always hear from the hippies I knew, and I always rejected it, but there's truth in it, I think, and I've realized this, I've got older. You gotta put intention on it. Like you gotta put intention on things. And if you put intention on things, it's a really, really bright light that you can follow. You know, it won't always work. It'll sometimes lead you into the rocks, right? But but you gotta put intention on things. And the older I get, the the more I understand how I can use that. This is shit I just didn't know when I was 30, you know? It's just shit I didn't know when I was 30, but I learned more, I, I, you know, when you know better, you do better kind of thing. That's the high, that's how I'm trying to grow as I get older. And, um, and I do think it really fucking matters that, especially in media, because I'm watching a lot of my contemporaries in media say some stupid shit on, the, on their shows. I'm like, what do you, what? What, what? How do you not see that? How do you not see that that's racist or that's sexist or that's homophobic or that's transphobic and none of that's okay. And if you're not fighting for everybody's rights, you're not fighting for anybody's rights. That's the thing to me. It's equality for all or it's equality for none. You know, like I have my friends who are like, oh, I believe in this, but I don't believe in that. Like my friends who are, they fight this, but they're, they're homophobic. It's like, dude, you got to shake that, man. You got to be a fucking ally. You got to be an ally. Anybody who's oppressed, if one person's oppressed, everybody's oppressed, which is of course the catchphrase. And I'm stunned by, because again, it comes back to what we talked about right off the top. If we don't address the root causes of poverty and inequity and inequity, nothing's going to fucking change. 
nothing's going to fucking change. And the root causes of poverty and inequity and inequity are, should be number one. Well, now, of course, climate crisis, but it's been climate crisis a long time. But mm-hmm. we have to fight so hard. And unfortunately, media has sway. Like media has sway. And I'm just stunned in a way by how irresponsible people are in chasing ratings and fucking advertising dollars, right? As opposed to being there for the people. That's what blows my fucking mind. No, I think me and AB and of course ATL as well. I think the three of us were understanding that we are literally a molehill compared to like, you know, mountains and these industries and things like that. But mm-hmm. I believe that if you stand on something and we were talking about it, if you stand on something, you believe in something, people gravitate towards that. Yeah. And then people, when they see the passion and they see that there's more to this person than an objective. There's more to them than an agenda that they may or may not have. There's more to them than just whatever perceived dollars that may be on the line. Like if there is more to you, if a dollar is not your bottom line, if there's more to you, people can automatically go with that. And you know, I was thinking, I know it's different today. So I know that as the old guy saying this, when I was young, like the reason I am the way I am today, aside from, you know, the influence of my mom and my family, but like in terms of my pop culture influence, the reason I am the way I am today is because of the music I listened to when I was 10, 12, 14 years old. That music was not popular. I listened to bands that sold 20,000 tapes. That's it. So this need to be big and famous, and don't get me wrong, if you can get it, fucking get it. And I'm not, I get your bags. I am fucking here for my friends. Go get your money, get your money. Cause the game is rigged and you need money to get through it. So I'm not one of those guys who's like, Oh, fucking money. Stupid. Yeah, sure. It is only saying people who have money, right? Go get your bags. If you can get it, go get an audience. If you can get it, like go, why not? Right. If your values you believe in, get as many people on board, but you don't have to have that to be impactful because there's bands like minor threat and Fugazi that I grew up listening to who have influenced generations of politicians and fucking writers and filmmakers and cats like me. Like we grew up listening to bands that sold very few fucking cassettes, relatively speaking. I mean, relative to like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, we're all small relative to Celine. She's the queen, but, um, huge. but we, so my thing is that you, you want to get as many people as you can, cause that allows you to keep doing it. But that doesn't mean you don't, if you don't, it doesn't mean you don't have real impact because me and my friends, we are who we are because of some pretty small, well, or like, well, small, listen to small red artists, right? Ideas changed our fucking, our minds. You know, what's that line that someone says? Small people talk about people, average people talk about events, you know, big minds talk about ideas. So focus on ideas and that's, and, and you don't have to reach a lot of people to change people. Find out next time on Switching Gears.